A few decades ago, uh, author Jim Collins, um, he published a groundbreaking book by the name uh, Good to Great. And I know many of you have either heard of the book or you've read it at some point in your life. And it was groundbreaking because he had studied uh, several publicly traded companies. Now, so these are large multinationals that are traded on, you know, the New York Stock Exchange and that sort of thing. And so, um, and what he did is he, he wanted to find out how some of these companies went from good to great or from mediocre to great. They, they had an amazing turnaround. But one of the interesting things in the book, and he had all kinds of great insights, and it's not a Christian book, it's a business book. One of his great insights was that one of the distinctive qualities of what he would call a transformational or turnaround leader, someone who could do that, he said, was the quality of humility. Humility in top CEOs, and they were able to lead in a way that brought lasting change. And so I've been fascinated with that. Like the idea of humility and servant leadership um, for, for many, many years. In the early part of my ministry, I, I don't think I understood that at all, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't think I fully appreciated, and I don't think I still fully appreciate the role that humility plays in the life of a Christian and a leader. But I have to tell you that the Lord has used my failures to teach me humility. And I am grateful for the times that God has led me into a place of brokenness to realize that I can't do this on my own and it's not about me. Um, he's used those times, uh, the tough times, to teach me humility and the quality that goes with it, the quality of meekness. And meekness is not weakness. It just simply means I don't have to always have my own way. At the end of the day, God is more interested in my character than in my success. That's why I can thank him for the tough times. Because I realize that even if I'm failing, as long as God is able to teach me something that I can carry with me and to shape my character and make me more like Jesus, to walk humbly as Jesus did, then it's worth it. God is more interested in my character than my success. And so today I want to talk about the sixth core value, which is servant leadership. We put others before ourselves. That's what servant leadership is. There's the statement. We put others before ourselves. So the goal today that I want to achieve just in talking to you is, one is I want to show that humility is an essential quality of a Christian, but especially of a Christian leader like a pastor. I also want to explain why servant leadership is truly, actually, it's the only leadership that matters. In fact, any leadership that is not servant leadership is not leadership at all. Servant leadership changes lives. And I also want to inspire all of us to adopt this posture of humility in everything that we do and decide to put the interests of others before our own. So how about you? Um, okay. So I think all of us know what it's like to work uh, in or to serve in a toxic work culture where bosses create a culture of fear, 
uh, and intimidation. They use bullying tactics and so on. I remember hearing this sort of tongue-in-cheek phrase, the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> yeah, right, that's going to improve morale. You know, but I, somebody sent me, we were talking about this in our leadership network on a Saturday morning, and one of the participants sent me this image that I thought said it all. And here it is. It'll come up on the screen. You see, the boss, who's not a leader, the boss sits or stands above people and barks out orders. Obey. That's what a boss does. But that's not a leader. A leader or a servant leader walks ahead and pulls the load with the people that she or he wants to lead. So some of us have had the unfortunate experience of being part of toxic church culture as well. And when I say that, there's lots of toxicity in churches, but when it comes from the leadership, that is a terrible thing, when leaders become toxic. And, and I remember back in the 70s, and some of you will know this, uh, there was a movement, um, and I think it was, well, I, I won't say where it came from, but it was called the shepherding movement. The shepherding movement. And it happened in the 1970s. And this idea was that pastors, like myself, got this idea that I am the shepherd of the flock and all of you are my sheep. And no young man is going to come into my church and take one of my little lambs in my flock and ask to marry her. He's got to get past me first. And there was that kind of attitude that went on. And I remember even back then hearing about that, and I thought, that is spiritual abuse. Th that's not servant leadership. Who do you think you are? This is Christ's church. He is the shepherd of his flock, and we serve under his authority. And so today, we're going to take a look at how Jesus demonstrated servant leadership um, and how he taught his disciples the importance of putting others before ourselves. So that passage that Alana read for us so beautifully uh, from John 13 was Jesus using the night before his crucifixion as a uh, last opportunity to say, I will show you what humility looks like. I will show you as your Lord, your master, your teacher, your rabbi, I will show you what it means to be a servant leader. And he washed, he took the role of a slave. And Peter was embarrassed. Like, Lord, no, Lord, no, this is not, pro I, I should wash your feet if anything. And so what I want you to do is if you've got a Bible, uh, either a hard copy Bible like I've got here or a Bible app, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going to begin uh, at verse 20. Um, and so you have to understand, first of all, that Jesus, uh, the, the 12 apostles and all the other followers, uh, most of them didn't really understand what Jesus was up to. And, and they really did think that in that time he was going to establish his kingdom on earth, and he was going to put the boots to Rome. And so they thought they were going to be getting in on a pretty good thing. But what they didn't understand, no matter how often he told them, is that he would have to suffer. And Good Friday is coming, right? Um, Tenebrae, Good Friday, and Easter. But, you know, they didn't get all that. And so 
they would often posture themselves to uh, get into positions of authority in his kingdom, but they didn't really understand what that was all about. So it tells us in verse 20 that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. She was asking that he would place her two sons in positions of prime authority when he established his kingdom. And so what I think is interesting, so James and John are the two sons of Zebedee. They were fishermen, just like Peter was. They were fishermen. Um, And uh, what I find interesting is they come with their mom. You know, and, and this, this is a real power play. I kind of thought of, you know, if you ever watched the TV series The Office, this is like Dwight Schrute, you know, and you know, wanting to uh, assert themselves into this place of power. And it makes me feel better about me because when I look at, well, Jesus chose these 12 guys and they were pretty petty. And it makes me feel like, okay, there's hope for somebody like me. But anyway, so they're asking for these prominent positions, but then you have to wonder, like, how could she be so audacious to ask Jesus this favor? I mean, this is really nepotism. I mean, like, to say, you know, let's, oh, by the way, her name was Salome, and she was Mary's sister. She was Jesus' aunts, and James and John were Jesus' cousins, so it might be that, that that's why I said it was nepotism because uh, she might have thought, well, you know, we're family here, Jesus, so I should probably have some favors. I think you can grant me some favors here. And so she bows before him and she asks for this favor. And then look at verse 22. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now, what they didn't know was the cup was a metaphor for suffering. The cup that Jesus was going to drink was the cup of suffering. And he said, can you drink this cup? And they said, thoughtlessly, oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we can. That was what Peter did. You know, remember later, Jesus said, you will all desert me, and Peter said, not me. Lord, I'll even die for you. That kind of overconfidence, that kind of hubris uh, is deceiving. We don't know what we might do in the time of testing. So they didn't really understand what he meant by the cup. Jesus was talking, you know, Jesus, when he talked about drinking the cup, he wasn't talking about having like a, uh, you know, a grande caramel frappuccino with two shots of espresso. He was talking about something more like cod liver oil, like that we had a drink when I was a kid. It tasted terrible. He was talking about something bitter. This was a bitter cup, the cup of suffering. And he said, can you do this? They said, oh, yeah, we can do it. They had no idea what they were talking about. And sometimes we don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about when I make a commitment. And so we need to be careful of shallow, thoughtless commitments. First, it's, we should pray and count the cost and make sure that we are fully devoted to what we've agreed to. So Jesus did say in verse 23, he said, you will indeed drink from my cup. Oh yes, you will. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. Interesting, do you remember when the disciples asked Jesus in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, about you know, when will these things happen? He said, I don't know. 
Only the Father knows. He said, these positions of authority, it's not up to me. They're up to my Father. Even Jesus on earth did not have that authority. He said, first of all, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. But he says, you will indeed drink from my cup. Jesus prophesied that they would suffer for him. James, so this is James and John, cousins of Jesus. James was the first apostle to be martyred. He was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. You can read about it. I think it's in Acts chapter 12. John is the one who wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. When he was banished or exiled on the Isle of Patmos where they sent the worst prisoners, the worst criminals. And many believe that he spent his last days there. Some thought he eventually got out, but he also drank from that cup. So the other ten disciples get wind of this, and they're, um, they're not too happy with James and John. And this is what it says in verse 24. When they heard about this, they were indignant. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And so Jesus is using, so this moment where uh, James and John come with their mom, you know, to get these positions of authority and to be promoted above the other 10, you know, and now the other ten hear about it, they're upset, they're jealous, they're angry, and now Jesus is going, okay, here's a teachable moment. And he did so much of his teaching in those moments. And so there's a teachable moment, and, and it's interesting because just a few weeks earlier, Jesus caught his disciples arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You know, I, it's going to be me. I, you know, I'm Jesus. You know, and I can imagine James, Peter, and John because they were part of the inner circle of the 12, you know, maybe posturing themselves proudly above the others. And, but, you know, and, and Jesus had already said to them, you must be, humble yourself like a child if you want to be great. But they, they were thick. Um, they didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They thought it was about power. And, uh, and so now they've forgotten about this, and they're, 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 they're jealous of each other. And so more often than not, I find even in the church, people ask the question, maybe not out loud, what's in it for me? Um, I've been told by people, if you want to get people to serve in the church, you need to answer the question, what's in it for me? And I'm like, Really? But I, I think maybe all of us, you know, because we're not as mature, ma- mature as we should be, might ask that question, what's in it for me? But I think the closer we get to Jesus, the less important that is. And so, these disciples of Jesus were ambitious. But ambition, without humility, is dangerous and fatal to a godly life. And I honestly, I hate it when I see ambition without humility in the church, and it happens. In Philippians chapter 2, this won't come up on the screen, but it says, do nothing. You'll know this. You know this passage. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out to your own interests, but each of you should look out to the interests of others. And so we should never uh, try to get the top position. That's, that's not what God... You know, don't try to sit in the prominent place. Don't insert yourself in the top position. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the Bible says, and He will exalt you at the proper time. Let Him exalt you, but do not exalt yourself. Humble yourself. So can everybody say, it's not about me? It's not about me. It really isn't. It's about Him, and it's about His glory. So Jesus reminds them in verses 25 to 28 that He says, you know, the Gentiles, the, those who are not followers of God. He said they have a leadership culture that's authoritarian, that's rooted in fear and intimidation. And so verse 25, he calls them together and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. This phrase, lording it over, what does that mean, to lord it over? Well, it means that we use our authority that we have, our position, our title, to bully people into submission, to subdue them under our foot. That's lording it over. It's using our authority to take advantage of our position or taking advantage of others. It's the excessive or coercive use of authority for self-serving purposes rather than for the glory of God and the edification of people. This is an example on the screen of lording it over people. Christians, pastors, elders, board members, that's not how we lead. So Jesus said that's how they do it. And then he says, not so with you. You need to be different if you're to lead my people. So verses 26 and following, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said that he came to serve. Jesus, the one who created us. And he said, I came to serve and to give my life, not to take, but to give. How many dictators in our world this last century or more have taken lives but did not give their life? A servant leader says, I give my life. That's why in Philippians 2, verses 5 and following, he says, the Apostle Paul said, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp or hold on to, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. He became a man. He took on flesh, and he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. That's why that I asked Alana if she could read that passage about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That was just one example. Little did they know that he was going to surpass that act of service by dying on the cross.
So we need to be careful that we do not provide justification or cover for authoritarian models of leadership. And it does happen in the church where we go, well, that's just how they are. That's just them. No. That's not just how they are. God has called us to a transformed life and to walk in humility. And so we need to repent of any infatuation that we might have with self-aggrandizement, self-serving ambition that just needs to be repented of. But humility, so it's interesting, I began by talking about this book, A Good to Great by Jim Collins, about these uh, publicly traded companies and how they went from good to great. And, and they, he said a hallmark of these great leaders in business was humility. Um, why is humility in a leader so inspiring? Why is servant leadership so inspiring? It's because everybody who's under the authority of a servant leader knows that this, the leader has their best interests at heart and that they value the people that they lead. It's because people know that the servant leader is willing to lay down her life, his life, their rights, their privileges for the sake of the mission. They know that the servant leader is a person of integrity, that they put their money where their mouth is, that who they are in public is who they are, matches who they are in private. And so why does this matter for us today? It's because this core, this is a core value of First Church that I hope is aspirational for all of us. It's a value of the Bible and it should be a value of any church when I'm not pastor anymore, I hope that the top thing that you're going to look for is somebody who's a servant leader and who has that quality of humility and puts others first. Um, so how do, you, how do you put this into action in your life? How do I continue to put that into action in my life? Well, first of all, our world desperately needs models, good role models of servant leadership. We need it desperately in our day. Look around. And it's easy. The reason I, I think this needs to be a core value, because I've had people say, well, that's just in the Bible. Doesn't that just make sense? I'm, yeah, it is. That's what core values are. They're things that we should already know. Why is it in the Bible? Peter, Second Peter, which I've been reading, he says, I'm saying these things to remind you, and I will continue to remind you. These are core values, all of these, because we need to be reminded, because it's so easy in the hustle and bustle of church life to forget what's really, truly important. This matters. And so here's the qualities of a servant leader. Servant leaders seek what is in the best interests of others and are willing to surrender their self-interest. And we don't have a lot of models of that, either in the world or even in the church. We don't have enough. And look at the scandals that we've learned about in recent days and the hypocrisy. I heard about a woman from Oregon the other day, just the latest episode, a woman, I don't know if she's a Christian, but a woman from Oregon who found her way in Texas. She goes into a bank, and she absolutely refuses to put on the mask. And it just turns into this brouhaha. Folks, when we do that, that's called lording it over. That really is. That's lording it over. To say, you know, I care more about my rights and my freedoms and being right than I am about being kind. 
I, think, I just think that's wrong. I think it's wrong. That's not meekness. The very definition of meekness is I'm willing to set aside my rights. Paul did that. Paul the apostle set aside his, what he, was truly his right to draw a salary from the Christians that he was serving. And he said, I won't because I know your, your hardship. Jesus did the same thing. And he was the example for Paul. Servant leaders would rather be kind than be right. Servant leaders are sensitive to the needs of others and seek to meet those needs. Servant leaders are willing to make personal sacrifices for the sake of Christ, the sake of the mission, for the sake of those they serve. Servant leaders are willing to cooperate with others. It's not my way or the highway. It's win-win. Let's find a way to do this together. We're all in this together. We're part of a larger community. So if you see someone who's not in your area of ministry and they're struggling, you can say, how can I help? What can I do to help you? That's servant leadership. Servant leaders give credit to others for their, when there's success and they take the blame when there's failures. Servant leaders are not defensive when they're criticized or corrected, but they're willing to acknowledge their mistakes, their sins, their shortcomings. I had to learn, and I'm still learning how to not be defensive, to be approachable. Servant leaders realize they don't know it all, and so they're willing to surround themselves with other leaders who are smarter and more talented than they are. And so here's what I want you to take away from the message today. Would you do these things? Would you choose a posture of humility? And you go, well, don't you just have to be born humble? No. Humility is not a personality trait. Humility is a character trait. Why did Jesus say when he washed the disciples' feet and he was teaching them about humility and servanthood, he said, do as I've done for you. It was a command. Humility is chosen. Why does it say in Philippians chapter 2, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus? He humbled himself. He's saying, choose humility. Would you just say that? I mean, whatever, would you just bring yourself before God? Father, in me, let's just do this right now. Say, Father, would you just show me if there's anything in me that's arrogant, that I think I know it all, that I think um, that I'm the boss of other people? And Father, I just want that to be crucified. I humble myself before you. I choose humility, Lord, as you taught me. So let's choose humility. Um, and let's choose to be kind rather than right. It's easy to want to argue our point and to always want to be right. And there's, there's a time and a place for that. But we need to be kind. We need to be compassionate. Third is just decide that you're going to put others first. This week, you could practice this. Deny yourself something that you believe you're entitled to. So just think of something that you think is your right, your privilege, your freedom, and deny it. Did Jesus not deny his privileges when he came from heaven to earth? Did he not teach us that? Did Apostle Paul not teach us that? Is there something that you can think about this week that you could say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny myself something I know is my right, and I'll lay it aside for the sake 
of another for the sake of the gospel. Ask the Lord to show you something you can do every day this week to put others before you. And do it anonymously if you can. And the last thing is, would you be a role model? Even if you don't consider yourself a leader, would you say, I'm just going to be a role model in my sphere of influence of servant leadership. I never think of myself as I'm above, I'm here at the top, and people are below me, and I'm very uncomfortable when people talk that way on the organizational chart. I go, I'm not above anybody, but I need to walk ahead. I need to walk ahead. And you should expect that of your pastors, your board members, and so on. And so would you pray with me? Father, would you help us to be a difference, be the difference between a boss and a servant leader? Help us, Lord, to be willing to humble ourselves and take the lowest position and to allow you to exalt us at the proper time. As we're about in prayer, would you say, Lord, I choose a posture of humility. I choose it right now. Help me to be kind and not just to be right. Lord, help me to put others first, to put their needs before my own. And help me, Lord, to be a servant leader. Jesus demonstrated this when he washed his disciples' feet. But he went to the nth degree the next day when he humbled himself and allowed himself to be humiliated on the cross for the sins of the world. And he says, come, follow me. Take your cross and follow me. Would you take your cross? Because that is the path to glory. It is the path to exaltation. In Jesus' name, amen. And there's one last hymn. I invite you to stand as we worship together.